Uh, well, happy winter, TNL. Um, did 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 January spoil us or what? It was seventy degrees in January. If you if this is your first winter in Colorado, this is not normal. Also, there's no normal. So you just kind of take what it throws at you. And uh, it snowed six of the past eight days, which I admit parts of that are becoming beautiful to me. I've been working really hard at enjoying winter. January and February are usually hard months for me, but I've come to really love falling snow. There's something so beautiful and so peaceful about it. Yes, thank you. It's been a, it's been a long journey. But once that snow is down on the ground, I'm over it. Uh, I've shoveled my walkway and my driveway like six times. And uh, I shoveled here twice last week and this week. Um, and despite appearances, I am not as young as I used to be. And I, I genuinely feel like my back might give out any second. I'm saying all this not to just complain to you with all my time, but to tell you that if I suddenly st- stop talking and freeze in place, it's, it's because my back gave up, not because I did. Uh, We have a lot to go through tonight, so I'm going to jump right in. Uh, To start out, I wanted to give you all a brief update to go over some things that we covered in our all-parish business meeting that wasn't lame uh, a couple weeks ago, for those of you who missed it. Um, First of all, I want to go over some 2019 financials that we have back now that it is 2020. Uh, The first is just to update you on the Christmas campaign. Somehow, we had another $3,000 come in. Um, which I don't fully understand how this works, but it was postmarked for last year. So it like counts for last year. And even though we just got it like a week ago, um, it's magic. But that brings our total for the, the Christmas can- campaign to $43,635, which again is just amazing. Thank you for all of you who gave. Uh, that $3,000 gives a 1000 extra to each initiative. Um, so $1,000 extra to the Acoma Improvement Project, $1,000 extra to East Colfax's Building Fund, and $1,000 extra for our foster care fund that we started. Uh, to update you on the parking lot, uh, did you notice the brand new parking lot? It's not there yet. It's, it's on its way. Uh, we are signed and under contract, I promise, I promise. Like Everything is in place with the paving company. We're at the top of their list. We just need the weather to cooperate. And we had an amazing January, but it's been all downhill from there. Um, the latest estimate is that mid to late March, we will have a new parking lot weather permitting. It takes about a week, and uh, we need their other jobs to wrap up, and then we need to have a good week of weather for them here. It is coming, I promise. Uh, I also want to go over with you, we finally have our um, end-of-year numbers for 2019. Um, This is the boring stuff, but we're going to go over it together. So in 2019, our budgeted giving was $212,000. Our actual giving was $191,089. So you can see that's a difference of almost $21,000. That's rough, but here we are. We're still standing. We're okay. In 2019, our expenses were budgeted to be $210,860. And we actually spent 198750 which is great, 198750 Sometimes I just say numbers and with no regard to their context. Uh, so that means that we spent $12,000 less than we were planning on spending, which is fantastic. Um, the net is our actual giving minus our actual expenses. We spent $7,661 more than we received. That's not great. 
Also, it could have been a whole lot worse, and there were points in the year where it looked like it was going to be pretty bad. Um, so thank you to everyone who gave. Um, we ended the year much more strongly than I anticipated, which is probably always true, but um, it was really great to see that number come down as we approach the end of the year. Um, now on to some great news, our 2020 budget. Uh, we are budgeted to receive, we're planning on receiving $210,000, and we're planning, <clears throat> planning to spend two hundred nine. $1,900. As you can see, that leaves only $100. Keep that in mind for a second. Now, remember I said last year we spent $12,000 less than we planned. Normally, if you spend $12,000 less than you plan to, that money gets taken away the next year because uh, it means you didn't need it, which makes sense. And our board of trustees at the Sacred Grace could have done that, but instead they decided to leave it in our 2020 budget, which allows us to do two things. Um, mainly two things. First, it allowed us to give a cost of living adjustment to all of our employees, which is a big deal and something we try to do every year. And it lets us hire a part-time youth director to start a youth group at TNL. Yes, it's very, very exciting. But again, it also puts TNL's expense budget right up against and on the edge of our income budget. Remember, only $100 padding. And we are still budgeting to, to receive $19,000 more than we received last year. Um, so we have some work to do to make this all sing in 2020. Uh, if you remember back in November and December, I asked you to consider giving or if you, to consider giving if you don't give or to increasing your giving if you currently give by $25 to $50 a month. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who have responded to that. It's been really encouraging and exciting for me to see those come in. Um, together, we have increased our monthly giving so far by about $1,400 a month, which is amazing. It's so amazing. Um, we lost a few regular donors last year uh, due to them moving away, um, which is a great reason to lose um, a giver. Uh, but so we're currently at about $1,100 a month net increase, which is definitely going to help us continue to do the great things that we're doing and grow into some new things. I'm very, very excited about that. If you're still considering giving or considering increasing your giving, it is never too late. Um, I would love to encourage you to do that. I'd be happy to talk with you about that if you have any questions about it. You can do all of that at tnl.org slash give. Um, beyond our monthly giving by us as a community, in 2020, I'm working on cultivating some external donors to help us close that $19,000 gap. Uh, this is something that both the Sacred Grace Inglewood and the Sacred Grace East Colfax do, but it's not something that I have experience with. Um, it's something that's very new for me, but it's something that I am really pushing into and looking to grow in this year. I am really excited for this year, for 2020. I'm really looking forward to finding and hiring someone to develop and lead a youth group here at TNL, um, a place where teens can start or continue to grow in the awareness of God's love and grace for them. Um, having TNL in my teens was really important for me. Um, I came from a very, very dysfunctional youth group, and TNL was like a safe haven for me. Um, I think that kind of place is important for every teenager to have a place where they hear and experience being accepted just as they are. Um, and I'm excited for us to potentially be able to provide that. I'm also really excited for us to get back to Royal Family and Kids Camp this summer. 
We took last year off, but this year we're doing it again. And as I've said before, you'll hear much more about this in the coming weeks. But I'm excited for us to get back to this tradition of TNL, to do our 17th, I think it's our 17th year. 17, 16? It's our 37th year. Wow, we've been doing it longer than we've been around. Um, I'm really excited about the leadership team this year who somehow added like 20 extra years onto how many years we've been doing this. I'm really looking forward to, again, providing a week of summer camp fun for kids in the foster care system in Colorado. It's going to be a really great summer. So some things that you can be praying for in 2020. Good weather for the parking lot work. Uh, Our finances this year. Um, This youth ministry or youth group for the right person to lead that and the group's formation. And then Royal Family Kids Camp for the leadership, for the volunteers, for all the fundraising that will need to happen for that, and for the kids and families that it will bless. Okay, that's it for the updates for now. Uh, If you have any questions about anything I just went over really quickly, um, please don't hesitate to ask. I'm happy to talk about any of that with you. Um, So let's get into a question. Oh, okay, real quick. For you parents, next week I'm talking about sexuality. Just so that you know, in case you were planning to have your kid in the service, it's fine if you want to do that. We're not talking about sex. No one asked any questions about that, so you're all clear on how that works, which is great. Um, But we are talking about sexuality next week, (laughs) and I wanted to make sure that you knew that coming into it. Um, Okay, so we don't have a ton of time because I wanted to give you that update, and we have something else coming uh, right before communion that I'm excited about, but I didn't want to not address a question tonight. So we're briefly going to respond to a question that I used to lie awake at night worrying about, especially in my late teens and early 20s, and that is how do I know if what I'm doing is God's plan for my life? I think this question always hangs around big decisions in our life, like where should I go to college or or, um, should I go to college, and if so, for what? Where should I live? Who should I marry? What should I do for a job? Should I take this job or a different job? Where should I move to? All these big decisions that regularly come up in our lives. And if you've been around Christian circles for long, and especially if you grew up in them, you've probably heard somehow the notion be expressed that God has a wonderful plan for your life. And that's often supported with scripture verses like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, which says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You've probably seen this on a poster or a knickknack of some sort. You might have some in your house, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, It's out of context. And laying aside the fact that this was written to the people of Israel right after they were brutally conquered and kidnapped to live in exile as slaves, the idea that often permeates Christian thought is that God has a very specific plan for your life, where you'll live, what you'll do, um, who you'll marry, or if you'll marry. And it's our job to discern it's our job to discern what his will is for us. If we follow him, he'll make it clear. And if we live into his plan, we'll be successful and happy. And if we don't, we'll be miserable. This is definitely how I grew up. Uh, in fact, uh, I, someone once gave me a plaque with that verse on it from Jeremiah after I did something that they really liked and they genuinely wanted to encourage me to continue living in God's plan for me. I think it's in my garage, and I'm really bummed I meant to remember to bring it so that I could show you. It's really heavy (laughs) and really Jeremiah. But um, I appreciate what this person was trying to express, but I think this approach is ultimately misguided. 
Uh, the idea that God has a specific plan for your life that you have to follow to be happy is deeply, deeply embedded in evangelical American thought. And it scared the, me to death as I was growing into adulthood. Like I said, I used to lie awake at night worrying about how I would find the one, the one that I was meant to marry, and how I would know that they were the one once I found them, and how I would know what I was supposed to do with my life, what I was supposed to do for a living, and what would happen if I got it wrong. And I would beg God to make it clear, to not let me do something he didn't want me to do. I would agonize over decisions, genuinely wanting to make God happy, and also feeling like I had no idea what he wanted me to do. Like, it'd be so nice if, like, a bright light could shine and I heard a booming voice just telling me what to do. That's what I wanted. I still want that because most of the time I don't even know what to eat for lunch. (laughs) Turns out, most people don't have a strong sense of what God wants them to do, quote-unquote, when faced with big decisions. Because most of us, well, maybe not most of us, if you've grown up with this idea that God has this plan for your life, then you expect to know or to feel something when these big decisions come up that guides what you should do. But most people don't actually ever experience that. So the conventional wisdom is to test the options, to put your best foot forward with what you think is right. And if things go well, then that's what God wanted you to do. If things go poorly, then that's not what he wanted you to do. Now you know. Again, this is a very American way to view things. And it completely ignores most of Scripture where doing what God wanted or the right thing meant suffering and hardship for that person. Consider if Jesus used this logic. Like if, if it brings hardship and suffering, it must not be what God wants. None of us would be here right now. We'd all be Jewish or pagan or something or nothing, but we wouldn't be Christian. Jesus himself promises that if we follow him, we'll have trouble in the world. He constantly talks about us picking up our crosses and following him. Constantly talks about self-sacrifice and of putting others above ourselves, even at great cost to ourselves. Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, writes in 1 Peter 4 that we shouldn't be surprised when we face hardship and suffering as a result of following Christ, as a result of doing what most of us would assume is God's will for our lives. There's so many examples of hardship and suffering being the result of people making the right decision throughout Scripture. That the idea that suffering uh, or happiness is how we determine God's will for our lives is insane. Putting aside the philosophical underpinnings that this whole thing assumes, which is namely that God has a very specific plan for your life, but he just isn't going to tell you what it is and makes you figure it out by basically playing this cosmic game of hot and cold with just your eternity hanging in the balance. No big deal. Uh, The biggest idea that this whole thing rests on, I think, is that ultimately God wants you to be happy. The idea is that what God is primarily about in, when it comes to your life is your happiness, which we'll, he will ensure if you will just follow his will for your life. Again, a very American way of viewing Christianity. Nothing in scripture supports this view. God is not primarily concerned with your happiness. When it comes to your life, what God is most concerned about is your holiness. He's most concerned about your Christ-likeness. Paul writes this in Colossians three twelve through 17 about God's grand plan for our lives. He says, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is what God's plan for your life is. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, this is who you are to be. God's plan for your life is about who you are, not what you do or don't do. Who you are is what he's concerned about, and who you are informs what you do or don't do anyway. God is after your holiness, not your happiness. That doesn't mean that God isn't concerned with your happiness. Holiness brings joy that is far deeper than happiness. Joy that is not dependent on our circumstances. Joy that defiantly endures all kinds of suffering and hardships and trials that just come with life. God's plan for your life is holiness. But our ability to pursue that holiness was tainted. Sin messed everything up when it entered the picture. And through Jesus, God has freed us from sin so that we could get back to what he created us to do. To fill the earth and subdue it while reflecting him. If you look in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, at the story of creation, after God sets the first man and woman up in the garden, he tells them a couple things. What does he tell them? Does he say, here is a very specific list of what you're supposed to do uh, with your life that you need to follow in order to make you happy? No. He says, look at all this I'm giving you to care for. Fill the earth and subdue it. He says, here's all this stuff I've made. See what you can make of it. He does say, here are a few things that you should avoid. I strongly suggest you avoid them. Otherwise, go for it. Have at it. God cares about your life, but he's far more concerned with who you are than what you do. He's far more concerned with how and why you do what you do than what you do. He's far more concerned with how you love the the people around you than who is around you. He's far more concerned about how you love your spouse than who your spouse is or even if you have a spouse. What is God's plan for you? To reflect him, to reflect love to the world by stewarding your gifts and talents and privileges and positions to join him in reducing suffering and increasing joy for the people in your life and to see what you can make of all this creation in the unique ways that only you can. This isn't to say that in any decision we face, there aren't right or better choices that we can make than others. But I think it means that we can take some of the pressure off of ourselves. We don't need to stumble around in the dark trying to guess God's will for us. We're free to make the choices that we think are best, and God will continue to work in and through us as we continue to grow in Christ-likeness. I wrote this uh, this morning to Aaron, who asked this question. Um, I think God delights in our creativity and our freedom. I don't think he has a secret plan for our lives that he asks us to just stumble around and try to figure out by trial and error. I think most of the time we're genuinely free to choose what we want to or what we think is best, and he then continues to work in and through every choice we make. Um, God is the ultimate improvisational musician, and he loves making music with us. I think he cares a whole lot more about why and how we play the notes that we play than what notes we play or even what instrument we use.
So when you're faced with big decisions, rather than agonizing over whether you're making the right decision that God wants you to make, which I totally understand and comes from a very good place, I think instead, ask yourself which choice helps you continue to grow into who God created you to be. Ask God to give you wisdom. Ask advice from people around you that you trust. And then embrace your God-given freedom to make choices and trust that he will continue to work in and through any and every choice we make. Would you pray with me? God, as often as I would sometimes prefer to be a robot, I am so thankful that you gave us free will and that you give us the ability to choose and make big decisions and little decisions. And God, I love that you continue to work through everything that we do. It is such a picture of intimate love to me that you are so close to us that you dance through every choice and decision we make, guiding us and leading us more to who you created us to be, more and more toward the image of Christ. God, I pray that we would feel the weight of our freedom and also the joy of our freedom that you have given us. And that each of us would pursue your will for our life to become more like Christ. Amen.